Hello and welcome again to Bike Karma. This is episode 7, believe it or not. And while it seems like a long time since the last one, it's only been a month. So, one a month is my goal for this year. And the last one dropped on uh, midnight on April 1st. So, May, it's on schedule. Though it might seem like longer. This time, we have one of the hidden hazards of spring, the lemonade stand. We also have... Eric Gratzman, my good friend, where we have a new segment called Ask Eric. And then we have my father-in-law, Wayne Gorlick Asmus, who is kind of a self-proclaimed pioneer of the Share the Road movement. So all that for you this time on Bike Karma. Thank you for coming to listen. There's one danger in cycling that's so fearful, people don't even worry about it. The lemonade stand. Lemonade! Come get some lemonade! Oh, there they are, with their smiles staring at you. They want you to buy lemonade. finally getting warmer again summer is here or at least it's going to be here soon you're out cruising around in your bike you're loving it you're looking at the sky you're taking it all in you're cruising around whether it's mountain bike road bike or whatever and then you see them there's a sign up ahead there's a couple little kids on the side of the road with a lemonade stand they look at you they can see you from like as soon as you can see them they've already been looking at you and you you notice that they're like gonna know whether or not the world's a good place or a bad place depending on whether or not you stop and buy some lemonade and you have to do it you're compelled to do it but be careful because sometimes that lemonade will knock you right off your bike sometimes it's not so bad but other times it is so sickeningly sweet and tart and warm, sometimes bordering on being hot, like a hot beverage, that to drink the whole thing is very dangerous. So we're gonna go through ideally what it should go through first, and then I'll finish up with some tips about how to survive a bad lemonade stand encounter. All right, so here we go. Here's the best possible scenario coming up. So as the weather gets warmer and you're riding around, there's that danger, the hidden danger as you're riding past the lemonade stand. I'm cruising up to one right now. See the smiling little faces of the kids. Hi guys. What's going on? Um, we're selling lemonade. You're selling lemonade, is it good? Yes. Yeah. Is it really good? Yes. All right, I guess I will try some. How much is it? 50 cents. $50? That's 50 too much. Cents. 50 cents, okay. All right, let's take a look. 50 okay. cents. You hold the cup. Okay. Do you have change? 
Um, yes. So I only got a hundred. <laughs> no, here's a five. Do you have change for a five? Okay. Let's have a hundred. One. Two. Do not give me the lemonade until you're sure you're going to get change. Three. Yeah, mm -hmm. we do. Over here. Hold it back. Hold back on it. Okay. That's awesome. All right. What do you say? Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. I'm going to give this a try. Have you tried this yourselves? Yeah. It tastes really good. Did you make it sweet or not so sweet? Not so sweet. Not so sweet? Okay. Here we go. He's got about three cups. Oh, that's pretty good. I've had really bad lemonade before, and this is not so bad, guys. So good job. Thank you very much. Like too sweet, usually? Oh my god. So sweet that you will fall off your bike afterwards. <laughs> Alright, guys, have a good day. You too. You too. Thank you. You too. Thank you. So that one went okay. Those kids were pretty cute. But what happens when it doesn't go okay? It's a reality that many of us don't want to face. What to do when a lemonade stand goes bad? Well, there's a couple of signs to avoid. One is if there's over 10 children standing at the lemonade stand. 10 children and no adult, you're allowed to keep driving. Just keep riding your bike right by it. They won't even notice unless they're all staring at you. In which case, pedal faster because that's a little weird. Let's say there's just a few kids though, and they look in earnest. Well, you gotta stop. And if you don't feel like chancing it on some bad lemonade, you could do what I'd like to do. Just think of it ahead of time and you'll be prepared. You buy a glass for the next person who comes. You'll be like, I've got plenty of water in my water bottles and I've gotta keep riding, but let me buy a glass of nice lemonade for the next person who comes along. It makes you look like a super cool person and you don't have to risk it. Huh? Okay. The other thing that works sometimes is to uh, make a joke. Uh, like once there was like about a hundred stuffed animals out next to the lemonade stand. And you know, I joked about buying two cats and the stuffed bunny and that didn't go over too well because the girl looked at me horrified and she thought I was actually gonna try and buy her bunny. The mom clarified things and she laughed and thought it was funny though. And uh, that was probably some of the worst lemonade I ever had to down before. That's, that's the one where I almost fell off of my bicycle. It was so bad. You could also say if you take a sip and it's not that good, accidentally you forget about the whole I'll buy it for the next guy one. Here's what you do. Take a sip and then you can either plan A, put it in your water bottle and dilute it with hopefully the water that you have in there. But if, if it's so strong and toxic that you don't think that you can handle even that, um, you say something like this. You say, my friend is up ahead of me and I'm going to bring this to them because they would love this. And then as soon as you get out of line of sight, which is about for most lemonade stands and kids, is about five miles away then you can pretty much feel safe enough to, to pour it onto the side of the road gently. You know, don't make it too obvious. You just kind of like, and then, and then of course, keep the cup in your back pocket. So anyway, those are my tips. And if you just have a plan ahead of time, you'll be able to get over it. But hopefully, like the kids that I went to visit to, the lemonade was actually really good. It was 
was tasty, the mom was supervising that they didn't put too much of the mix into there, and it was actually a refreshing treat on a warm day. So enjoy the warm weather, folks, and just beware of the lemonade stands. And enjoy them if they're good. So we're here today with another episode of Bike Karma, and today we got a new segment called Ask Eric. This is my friend Eric. Hello. Eric, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? I'm Eric, and I work in television editing sports highlights. Excellent. And you love that, yeah? Sometimes. It's like any job. Um, there's some days where you really hate it, some days where you love it, and some days where it's just... Somewhere in the middle. Excellent. And like most like most jobs. And Eric has done a lot. He's been a big uh, helper and encourager and giving me all kinds of advice about how to do this podcast and whatnot and actually really been supportive. So I appreciate all that he's done for me for that. And that's why I am going to grill him on bicycle topics every week. Ah, and, no, great. Well, not every week, but I'm going to grill him as often as he lets me on some topic to see what the man on the streets perspective is. And today it is the infamous cardboard bicycle. Now I gave him an article to read, and the article talks about Isbar Gafni, who is an Israeli inventor who came up with a bicycle made out of cardboard. Now before I tell you my reaction to the cardboard bike, because it is visceral, my reaction. <laughs> I am going to ask Eric what his reaction to the cardboard bike invention is. So uh, just to clarify, the cardboard bike is a bicycle almost entirely made out of cardboard that's meant to be transportation to save the world. Well, I think it's a decent idea, but some of the things in the article were a little, the $290 version, I think costs nine bucks to make. I think it's a good idea in theory, but the way the company is going about it might be a little wrong. I thought it was a cute idea. Like, I thought it was like an engineering challenge. Like, yeah. the type of thing where you would give a class in grad school and say, Okay, fellows, we're going to design a bike out of cardboard. Go! That reminds me of the uh, my applied physics class in high school where we would have various things. They give you this set of materials, like a, a toothpick bridge. Make a toothpick bridge no longer than like 12 inches and something. I forget the width what the length was. And I took it and went with it and I made a bridge that ended up holding 205.8 pounds. Just completely out of glue and toothpicks. So you know, those kind of challenges are interesting. Another one was give the set of material, see how many pennies it could hold. And, and I can totally respect, I respect the inventor of the cardboard bike for that. And just from my perspective of other things that I know, here it comes, I hate it. I hate the idea. I hate the idea that it's a going with a throwaway type of option for something where it's just uh, seems like a redistribution problem. Uh, but anyway, what, but what about the low cost that could help with development, developmental, not developmental, excuse me, developing countries that were they don't have all the resources for 
doing bike, uh, sorry, fixing bikes, maintaining bikes, the cardboard bikes that are cheap, and if it breaks down, they don't have to spend as much to get it repaired. It could, if it does go for twenty dollars, they could get well, a new one. The initial price was twenty dollars. Yeah, twenty days. I saw. But we have conflicting stories about how much it's actually costing. So when people yeah. went to go buy it, it was up to somewhere over two. Yeah, it was over two hundred bucks for this bike that was supposed to come out at twenty bucks, and nine nine to twelve. I believe it said nine to twelve dollars for create to create it. That is that is a ridiculous profit margin. Yeah. So what is actually the thing? Does it cost twenty dollars to make, or is it cost twenty dollars for materials? Is that kind of a bait and switch in terms of the price? I don't think it's necessarily anything that's uh, trying to be sketchy, but it just seems like it's one of those ideas that as they fished it out and they farmed it out, the price kept going up and up and up, and people who wanted to buy one as like, uh, oh, I'd like to buy one to see what it's like, more of a you know, maybe Americans who would just say, you know, oh, I have a cardboard bike that I'd like to drive around and see what <laughs> yeah. that's like. You know, it's costing a lot more money than they thought it would. And there's there's some issue about rebates and stuff like that. But I think what really got to me about it was the whole idea of the throwaway attitude towards bikes. And I brought for you two things I'm going to show you. A, a lot of times people think that bike guys are snobs and, and, and to some degree they are. Okay, I admit to a certain amount of snobbiness, but when we get to things like department store bikes, we, we sometimes call them now bicycle-shaped objects, BSOs. And with some shops, the normal consumer, the, the average Joe in the street, will walk into a bike shop and they'll bring a bike that they bought at Walmart or uh, some other place where they, they've extremely, extremely cheap, uh, cheaply made bikes. And they're, they think it's an elitism about the bike. And while that's true in some cases, there is an elitism about it. And, the, and the, the bike shop does not like having to compete with machines that you can get for $69. There is a quality issue there. Oh, so, quality, yes. So what I want to give you is I'm going to hand you a brake lever. Now, a brake lever is something that's supposed to save your life if you need to brake. So there's a brake lever from a Walmart bike, and this is a modern Walmart bike. How old uh, is this from? This is probably in 2008-ish. It feels just lightweight, cheap. The metal barely even feels like real metal. There's plastic pieces that just, I'm not putting a lot of force and it's just moving. It just feels cheap, and the, cheaply the, made. The thing that used to happen when, you know, big box suppliers started first doing this, they would have a whole lower range of parts at first. And then there was an absurgence where they were being imported with the lowest level of quality parts that were available. So they would take last year's this and last year's that, or the lowest rung of the ladder of an actual name brand manufacturer or the off brand made by the actual like Shimano or something like that, or Pro Max brakes. And so now I'm gonna to hand to you just a generic old old style mountain bike lever that you might have found on a department store bike. These feel a lot, just initially feel a lot better. I can feel that it's actual metal. It's I can feel that it's a little cold. And just the, it feels real. It feels solid and durable. In the same spot that I checked earlier on the, the Walmart, I believe this was Walmart you had said, yep, yep. I'm pushing with the same amount of force. It's not even giving away. There's no budge to it. In my hand, because I have them both in my hand right now, the one in my left hand is the one Tom gave me, and the other one is the Walmart one. And it just it just feels 
solid. It feels much more durable and like it will take more punishment. This feels like if you went over the handlebars or flipped the bike, you're less likely to bend or break this. This Walmart one is just cheap. I mean, I've had a Walmart bike that was a piece of garbage. And the, the basically the brake handles do snap. And that's, that's the situation you have more and more with the, the cheapness of the materials is they basically have taken a good design like the older brakes and they've farmed it out and they've said, make this as cheaply as you can and not really had a safety floor for it. And that's where a lot of the bike mechanics are coming from with not liking bicycle shaped objects is that they are really low quality to a point of being more like movie props than actual bikes. And what I mean by that is it looks just like the other item, but in performance, it really is so substandard it's like you wouldn't use a movie prop as an actual item in your house because it wouldn't be durable enough and yet these items are being sold as you know actual bicycles that you should be able to go out and ride and there are some things on them that are really getting to the point where they're so cheaply made that they're they're unsafe or it, even if they're not unsafe which i do not want to get sued by walmart or by target or by other places there's you might luck out on the quality of the bike you might luck out on the quality of a build of, and, and you will get lucky on them. There's a guy who did a YouTube video where he took a, a mountain bike that he purchased at Walmart and he rode it around and it wasn't too bad. He got lucky on it. But I don't see that any consistency with the quality. I think he's lucky with his pick there. Particular model, like if you get the Vista Mountain version of something, <laughs> uh, it might be the one where they actually put some quality into it. Or the extreme version. Or the extreme version. So you can still luck out, but the the chances of lucking out back a few years ago were a lot higher than they are of lucking out today. Because it has been engineered and manipulated to use such low-level parts that the performance is totally gone. When I strip down an older bike, I'm taking all kinds of parts off of it that are great to help fix other bikes. When I get a Walmart bike these days, like a more recent one, I end up chucking a lot of it because it's just so low a quality that I don't feel good reusing any of it. Uh, and to really get that home and to be a mechanic who knows what's going on with the bike you're going to have wheels that do not last you're going to have brake handles that snap the first time you drop it uh and you it's it's worse than safety in terms of being more consistent with what the problem is is that it's going to be unsustainable and we're going to create a lot of waste cheap quality i had a walmart bike that was just so it was heavy it was just just so heavy. I had so many issues with it. I, many times I had to replace the bearings because it was just cheaply made. I had to replace the back wheel because it bent. I mean, the handlebars actually, I, I took a tumble over the handlebars one time and they just, the bike barely got any damage because of the way it hit, but it ended up being a little bit bent. It's just really, it was just so cheaply made. It was like riding a prop. Yeah, it, it, your prop example was perfect because there was one time I went over a curb. This was probably, I don't know, so maybe 10 years ago when I didn't have a car. I was riding a bike to work one mile, and I go over a curb, and I, this was a little Walmart bike, and the back tire bent. Not just not just bent a little bit, but bent to the point where it wouldn't spin anymore. So I had to drag the cheap bike, cheap heavy bike, to work with me because I was already most of the way home. So the, the quality of some of these store ones that I've seen over the years that I've gotten, not good.
So the thing that incenses, so that, that would just make you slightly upset if you were a bike mechanic. So having gotten into this, I'm a hobbyist mechanic. I, I started fixing my own bikes and then repairing bikes and finding bikes that people had discarded and seeing how easy it was to fix them. The, the part that gets you really going about it is that there are so many bikes that are of a better quality that are being discarded because people are seeing the bikes at Walmart and not realizing that the bike that they just put on the curb is maybe 10 times yeah. a higher quality than the bike that they're going to buy at Walmart. And with a little bit of proper service, the one that they just kicked to the curb could probably last another human lifetime. Yeah, and so definitely, when, I would agree with that point. That's a good point. And when we get to like the cardboard bikes, nothing against a guy. Love the intellectual problem is to see all the bikes that get destroyed. Now, aluminum frames do have a lifespan, but a chromoly frame. What's chromoly? A chromoly is like steel. Yep. So a steel framed road bike that includes all those 10 speeds that we had during the 70s and 80s and includes most less expensive bikes. Unless they're really, really damaged or rusted out or rusted through, they can potentially just keep going. Oh yeah, steel's a great, great resilience. Steel is very resilient, and unless you reach that breaking point, steel can be used over and over again. Now for racing and higher end applications, it goes beyond a certain range of tolerance, but just for normal riding, if you have a 50 to 60 year old three-speed English bike, you can ride that until you're gone and give it to your kids, and they could ride it until they're gone, because it is just going to be durable enough to handle that. So we've made one bike that can last for a hundred years. And now we've got a whole generation of bikes from Walmart and other places that um, they're not gonna be that good. So they're there's- They're throwaway. They're throwaway. And that's, that's, that's with like a, with a lot of quality issues with products nowadays. You look at press board furniture, everything's made out of press board now. And if you look at the old style, it was handmade out of solid wood, it's still around, it's still durable. The cheap IKEA crap you get. It's just mm -hmm. a whole society of throwaway products. And there's a, there's a place for disposable things when you need them for a limited application, but these bikes are not being sold as disposable. They're being sold as bikes. Mm. There's nothing against department store bikes if you go back a few years to when there were some standards. We made junk in America, too. Uh, we had a point in American history where we were the China to the UK, and we were cranking out cheaper, less quality bikes than the UK was, and they looked at us as like invading their market, and there was sort of a trade war going there for a while. And we eventually won when, that. When, when was this? Sorry, uh, this you. this was back in the the first generation of bicycles, back when Pope and uh, Springfields and Columbia. Oh, uh, okay. back in quite those a while days. Ago. Yeah. yeah, so quite a while ago, and then in the '60s. We had a lot of bikes being cranked out in the United States that were so low a quality that they started making like a, a safety label to put on them that said that this bike passed minimal safety inspections. The minimal? Minimal. This was the Bicycle Manufacturers of America BMA6 certification which was a safety standard. But you can see these on bikes from the 60s and 70s 
And then we seem to have a, a little bit of a golden age where you would have a bike that wouldn't perform so well. It wasn't an elite bike, but it was fairly durable. It was made in the USA at that point. There were a lot of bikes made in the United States still. And those low-end bikes, so I'm talking about the low end of the market, were a basic good serviceable bike. So you would nothing not... Flashy, nothing flashy. Nothing flashy. It was functional and it was cheap. And you would walk into your local department stores, your Caldors, your Ames, <laughs> That's the name from the past. your Bennies, your Barkers, your Bradleys, all those places. You'd walk in there and you'd get a bicycle and it would have a basic level of quality. There was a trade agreement that basically destroyed the American bicycle industry along with some other things. And uh, the first bikes to get imported were actually a higher quality. So what killed what was one of the final nails for the uh for the american bike industry was some of those original bikes that started coming over that were imported taiwan made some incredibly high quality bikes and their price was lower and china started making a couple and they were some of the brands some of the parts were being made in china but a lot of the parts were from japan a lot of them were from taiwan and they were making a fairly decent bike for less than you would for an American bike, and that was it. And then that lasted for about 10 years where you could get a decent bike. And around the time where suspension came into mountain bikes, the front shock, they started making front shocks that were just garbage. And those front shocks uh, were kind of like the shoulder pads of fashion in the bike <laughs> industry. Yeah, some so, of those have been... I've ridden on a few bikes that had some really bad shocks. They had brand new stuff that I've tried out, and years ago, of course, but they were just horrible. Bridgestone was one of the classic examples of a, uh, somebody who tried to do the right thing. They Bridgestone were, as in Bridgestone, Bridgestone Tire? Bridgestone Tire and Bicycle Company. Oh, I did not know they were and a bicycle company as well. Bridgestone had this attitude that they were not going to do suspension because unless they made a really, really good fork, they didn't want to put something that would be substandard onto their bikes. So they were a company that was big into quality and common sense. Which we don't see enough of anymore. It's just it's just get it out cheap, sell it. And they are legendary. Uh, their their prices have skyrocketed. Their their brochures are still popular. Reading their old brochures because there was kind of like a mantra about how to be sustainable. And they would say, We're not using the flashiest new parts this year because last year's are better. It was unheard of. I mean back if, in the day. I, I think that's a good thing because if you see that something is you know, it's a year or two older and it's better quality, it performs better, go with it. New doesn't always mean better. That's true. That's true. So they, they basically, they, they held back on putting forks, uh, the suspension forks on the front of their bikes. And so what happened is they ended up losing market share because people would go and they would scan for the bikes that had shocks. And they would look over all these quality bikes that were not to ride them. You would say that it was a really high quality ride, regardless of whether it had a shock or not. And people were looking over them and gradually they had to try and catch up afterwards and they didn't quite make it entirely um so they tried to do the right thing and they failed horribly and that's when the bottom started to fall out where once they started making shocks very cheaply they said how can we make all these other parts we're using these low end of the ladder brake handles for example or we're using this transmission from Shimano. It's their lowest end, but we're paying a lot for that Shimano name to put onto our bike. How can we drop that down 
and get that discount and get our bikes even cheaper so that we can entice more people. You're sacrificing quality. And so a name like Shimano, if they put the Shimano name on it, you, you're assured a low level of quality on even the lowest and most cheapest thing that Shimano makes. Because they make high-end stuff on the top shelf, they can't have their low-end stuff be junk. No, because it's going to ruin their name. It ruins their name, yeah. I mean, reputation is is something very important. Having a good reputation, be it, be it a company or just a person in general. So they, they had... The, to apply some of the same safety standards, some of the same performance standards. And so there was a there was a little window where you could go and you could buy a cheap bike that had these low shelf parts on it and it was okay. And in those days, if you were snobby at a bike shop, it was just because you were snobby. Yeah. You know, if you looked and you said, eh, that's not the greatest derailleur in the world, that's not the greatest brake setup, but they're, they're quality. They're a basic serviceable quality. They're good enough to be able to take them and fix them uh, without slamming your head against the wall. So we had bikes that were good, and then with those shocks, they opened up the door to making parts off-brand, no-brand, that just, they started looking like props. They started looking like, you know, like a lightsaber compared to a real lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, the toy ones. You know, you do not want to battle with a toy lightsaber. You want to you wanna have a real lightsaber. So. <laughs> I think every... I think every... <laughs> Every kid wants a real lightsaber. I know real I do. Lightsaber. So anyway, that that's that's the objective these days. So when you go into a bike shop and you bought your bike at a department store, don't it's if it's a good bike store and they're not jerks, it's because it really is hard to fix them. The metals are so low quality, the plastics are so low quality oh, yeah. that they Metal. flex so much that it's really hard to even do basic service on them because it's trying to make a movie prop do what a real thing is supposed to do. And that that is why the cardboard bike for me was a non-starter because if you look around the world, there are enough bikes sitting in junkyards and in people's garages. Or in rivers, like some of the bikes you've grabbed in and rivers. repaired and they look almost brand new. And when you say you're a hobbyist, I think you're a little bit above a hobbyist. We're sitting in your workshop right now, and uh, you could probably run a business out of here. Uh, <laughs> Come on, a business you... would make money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. All right. So, yeah, but it's if it's like food. It's We make so much food in the wrong places to feed the world. Yeah. And I heard the BBC, uh, BBC article at... Uh, story last night and they said we raised a trillion dollars of food each year gets thrown out because it can't get to the right place at the right time and i think that that's what to look at for products as well if a product if a product costs twice as much but lasts 10 times longer it's a better overall deal what's what's the long term you know what's the long term better choice i mean you i mean a lot of people will want to get the cheap bike up front but then a year later the thing is is broken or needs repairs you repair it the same things happen again and you end up spending much more to repair something like the cheap low-end bike than you would have if you bought a a higher-end one that had better quality product so bring it back to ask eric so as the guy on the street now who's who's from that perspective how do bike people, without turning people off with the whole snob 
end of it, how do we explain to people that some of the bikes that they might buy at their department store are just no good? They're not good for the earth. They're not good for riding. They're not good for lasting. They're not good for the only thing they're good with is price. How do we get that out there without it's, without turning people off and making them think that we're snobs? I'd say it'd be kind of hard because a lot of people are focused on the cost of something. They look at the cost of, let's just say, $79 bike versus a $500 bike. There's a substantial savings. I think it would be very difficult to convince a lot of people that you should buy this. You should spend five times more than this or ten times more than this and you'll get a better end result. A lot of times it's just the here and now people are thinking about. They're not thinking about the longevity, stuff in the long run. If we could get people to think more about bikes in the long run, how long this would last you and how much maintenance that a better quality produced bike would be versus one of the cheap department store ones. We, I, I have a friend who shall remain nameless. I, I still love them. His name's Bob. No. <laughs> is his name Bob? His name's not Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but we worked on his kid's bike together. And it, I showed him how weak the metal was. Like literally the, the, the nut that held pieces together was stripping. And the, the soft it metal. was soft metal. Yeah. And it was nothing was fitting together right and everything was wrong and we put it together and we we had gotten uh we made it fit and then it fell apart again because of the soft metal and the poor quality components and i tried my best i tried to upgrade i tried to put some other stuff in and at the end of the day uh he was like i'll just go to walmart and get another one that's the problem and i was like ah oh, no that's the problem is Why? because the throwaway, the throwaway. Oh, just go to Walmart, get another one. Yeah. Spend a little bit more and get a good something that's good quality. I am a perfect example of someone who had that mindset years ago, where I just bike would die or break, and just go to Walmart, get another one. Yeah. Because it was just it was just so much cheaper, and I don't know, maybe five years ago, six years ago, I had had enough of really garbage bikes. I had that bike incident, and I wanted to get a new bike because I, had, I hadn't bought one in years because of just the quality. It was and so now the difference, the difference between the Walmart and the entry-level bike shop bike has grown so much, too, where that's made it even harder, too, because a, a person who has a bad experience with a Walmart bike like yourself walks into a bike shop, and they get sticker shock. Yeah, sticker shock, exactly. The sticker saw... shock is horrible because you walk in there and you feel like you're getting ripped off because how can it be so much more for that bike? And there's this huge used market that's getting ignored where these yeah. slightly older but very serviceable bikes are just kind of like waiting there. And people are looking over them a bike that could last your entire lifetime with if you don't have an accident it could last your entire lifetime are getting left behind just it's like a blind spot and then you've got the choice of either the cheapy walmart bike the more expensive walmart bike or a target <laughs> bike and then or you you go to the go to the bike store where you feel like you're being taken because because how can it be that much more but after 
getting over the initial sticker shock and writing, writing, um, I wrote a couple of them. I, a, a store in Bristol, Bristol, Connecticut. I don't remember the exact name of it. Maybe Biker's Edge. Great service there. I rode three bikes, I believe, and they were all very comfortable. And the one I chose was like $550. And after riding it and just looking over it, and I said that it's perfect. I mean, it, it yes, it's much more than a cheap Walmart bike, but I saw that it was just better. So when so it was like five hundred and fifty. If you went to Walmart, you would not be on the seventy nine dollar bike. You would be probably looking at to get the same bike. It'd probably be around one hundred and twenty, hundred and forty, maybe. But still, the quality, the production quality. I mean, the so soft we're talking metals. maybe like three to four times more for for the bike from the bike store. So how many bikes? If you bought four of the of the cheaper bikes. Could you ride four of them for as long as you could ride that one bike, and would you enjoy it as much? No, definitely not, because even if you just figure in, say, roughly $80, and you're saying four of them, so four of them, four, four, excuse me, four of them would get you up to $320. Yes, you're still, you're still a couple hundred dollars under, but the frustration level, the maintenance that you would have to do to it, it would just be overall better to get something with its better quality where you're going to have more durable components because there's been many times where I've had Walmart bikes where I had to have had to replace the bearings several times because the the whole overall thing was just junk yeah the chain fall off because uh, it would just the whole the nuts were soft metal as we went back to it and the chain falls the back tire slides and the chain falls off I went over the handlebars. I hurt well, there's, myself. There's flex in the materials, so much flex that yeah, it just fle- doesn't definitely. run right. So at the end of the day, when you hear somebody who's a wine snob, yes, they're a wine snob. They're Although annoying. there's some wine There's some good really wines. Good. I got it. I got it. I got it. Man, there's beer snobs. I'm one of them. I would rather not drink a beer than have a really cheap beer. <laughs> That's like me and coffee. Yep. So there are snobs in the world, but your bike shop at this point in history is not a snob by not being super happy about that bike that you bought. They are basically telling you, if we were to use wine as an example, you have grape aid that's been passed off to you as wine. <laughs> grape aid. Grape Kool-Aid, grape oh, aid, wow. uh, something like that. And, and they're really, they're, they're, they're true. They're, they're telling you the truth there is that it's it's a it's a prop it's a bicycle shaped object and that's where they're coming from so they are not they might have an attitude with it but they are not just being snobs there is a real quality control issue and where the bottom is i don't know if there's going to be a bottom uh, an, another friend brought in his kid's bike and the brake handle, the bike had just fallen on its side and the brake handle had snapped apart, which would never happen on uh, any type of department store bike, even from back in the day. Yeah, because it was made with metal and not plastic and garbage. Thin plastic thin, at yeah, that. Real thin, thin, plastic. thin, cheap, brittle plastic. And so will there be a point where there's safety involved will there be a point where they say you know we have companies that are not bicycle companies which have been contracted to create products 
which look like bicycles. So please consider, if you would, that we have enough bikes in the world right now for all but the elite racers who are going to constantly go after the golden fleece of, of bikes and they're going to put more gears on the back and they're going to shave a few grams off here and there but for the rest of us sitting in garages sitting in dumps sitting on the side of the road sitting in rivers there are plenty of bikes that could be fixed up and serviced and if they're unsafe, we chuck them and recycle them. But if they are evaluated, you can go to your local bike co-op and for the same price that you would spend on a high-end department store bike, you could walk out of there with a bike that might last you your lifetime. Do you think we'll change the world with this interview? Do you think we'll stop people from, from buying bicycle-shaped objects? Well... Change the world is hard. If we change one mind, that would be good. We'll go with one mind. Yeah, I mean, sm change takes time. Small change. And, and ooh, you know, it's good. Just consider it. Yeah, we're not going to try and sway you one way or the other. Just no. consider it yourself. No pressure on Just consider no pressure. it yourself. Yeah. Just take in the facts. It's not like the guy selling solar panels. Yeah. Oh, so aggressive. <laughs> anyway. All right. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time on Ask Eric Something About Bikes. Bye. Well, I'm here in the villages with my father-in-law, Wayne Gorlick Asmus, and as a father-in-law, we're always worried that we're going to have something to bond over. <laughs> so, but we, we both have something in common, which is giving people enough space when you're passing them with a bike. So, you know, three feet is a law in many states. And I was talking to him how I have a shirt that says three feet, please, and share the road and stuff like that, which is, you know, it's good. It's bright yellow and all that stuff. But he had some more uh, other ideas. I'll start out by telling you that when I was in graduate school in Detroit, I used to ride my bike uh, down to Wayne State when I was when I was living in Hamtramck, and the bike ride was often um, always on busy streets. And I used to carry a chain to lock my bike to uh, posts on campus, and the chain also came in handy to keep traffic away from me. When traffic got too close, I would take it and swing it around, um, uh, swing it around my, my space, my personal space to give me more room. And cars used to kind of respect that swinging chain. So you were kind of a pioneer of the share the road movement then. <laughs> share, the, <laughs> share the road. Well, it only takes once getting run up on a curb by a car to become pretty adamant about uh, maintaining space around your bike. Yeah, you were feeling the, the threat yep. there. Okay, yeah. so what is this? It's, it looks like it's about the size of a hot dog, but it's black and very heavy duty looking. It's, um, this is a, an expandable baton. And 
Like um, a riot baton. It is actually a riot baton. Okay. And it's um, uh, something that you just kind of uh, swing with your arm and it expands from about eight inches to about uh, 28 inches. Yeah, not quite three feet, but they get the idea. But they get the idea and it's um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty strong and um, it uh, maintains space, helps maintain some space. Okay. This might not be for everybody to carry though. Yeah. Um, in Florida, it's classified as a concealed weapon. Oh gosh. And um, because I have a concealed weapon permit, I get to carry it. Okay, all right. So <laughs> different ways of dealing with the whole share the road uh, movement. You know, you could wear a shirt that says share the road. Uh, you could twirl a chain above your head yeah. in this space, uh, yeah. which requires some talent keeping balance on a bicycle. Yeah. Or if you have the concealed weapon permit <laughs> in Florida, you could carry the riot baton as a, just as a visual aid to visual show people aid. how far that might be. And it's a lot more gentle than shooting people, actually. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, from Florida, this is Tom, and you're on Bike Carbon. Bye now. And, and you can do all that time with a golf club, too. <laughs>you've reached the end of another episode of bike karma thank you so much for listening hopefully it's brought a bunch of us together to think about the same things about what we love about bikes i wanted to show some uh thank yous for ho the megapode uh thanks for the review on itunes and the uh harrison ford taurus an awesome review thank you very much for that i appreciate it um kind of calling out uh people as a word of thanks uh, just like my uh my hero on the uh, myths and legends podcast which i strongly encourage you to check out also i want to thank the uh, people for following me on podbean smax873 thank you very much mw73613 carol lobanicki liz brown and big bad bod thank you so much for following it's free. It just lets me know that other people are out there. Uh, almost up to a thousand plays. I really appreciate all the people who have uh, listened to the podcast. And if you have a story that you'd like to share, please uh, email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Or you can contact me through Facebook or Instagram. Check out some of the visuals. All the pictures are by me of things that I talk about in the podcast. And also, big thanks to Mobjack and Kelly Glass for their most awesome theme music. Uh, also, thanks to Taryn for helping out and his buddy Seth for helping out with the, the Lemonade segment, as well as the kids down the street who shall remain nameless. Thanks again to Eric Grotzman, my good friend on Ask Eric, and my father-in-law, Wayne Gorlick-Asmus. 
everybody else, thank you for all your encouragement and for helping me get these out there. See you again next month with more Bike Karma. Until then, if you happen to be in Connecticut on June 5th, please stop by the Weathersfield Bicycle Festival Swap Meet and Show. Uh, it's during the a.m., so from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Hanner School in Weathersfield, Connecticut. It is uh, only all bike swap meet that I know of in Connecticut at this time. Come check it out. We're going to have all kinds of things there. It's rain or shine. It's free admission. If you're a seller, spots are only 25 bucks, and you can contact me through any of the other ways about it. Have a great spring riding season, and for God's sakes, watch out for bad lemonade. Bike Karma, Bicycle Karma, and the excellent cat drawn by my daughter Anna Jane are all trademarks of Bike Karma by Thomas Brown. All rights reserved. Opening and closing theme by Mobjack Music. Check them out at mobjackmusic.com. And also Keller Glass. This time the timing isn't right. Time left for